Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? How can we best embody that aliveness while dealing with the unique stressors that we face in this strange and potent time? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor. And joining us this week on the show is professional surfer turned regenerative farmer, Fergal Smith. Fergal is the founder of the Moy Hill CSA farm in Clare, Ireland. And we're going to be spending this next hour talking about what exactly regenerative agriculture is. This is something that right off the bat of the show, I really wanted to include because I think it's important as we're talking about the state of the world and the very real and grim realities of the challenges that we're facing to also balance it out with a healthy perspective of, hey, there's still hope. There's still opportunity to work with the situation as it is. And there are practices that we can actually bring into our lives that will help us actually create a sustainable and just future. To me, food systems are a huge part of that equation. So much of our Uh, carbon output is actually from the way that we have a relationship with the earth and with our food. So the idea of regenerative agriculture is a really interesting one to me. And I started this conversation not knowing very much about it. So this was a really fun talk for me to be able to pick somebody's brain who's been established in this world for so long. And we really, really get into like a lot of depth on what exactly we are able to do through our relationship to our food. So namely, what we're going to be talking about is how we can use animals in a a way that respects the way that they've migrated for the past thousands and thousands, millions of years to actually work with land in a way that generates more nutrition and more bioavailability. We talk about the implementation of planting trees in creative ways. We talk about overall the philosophies of what it means to be a steward of the land and how we can enter a reciprocal relationship and actually have um, a genuine communion with the space that we inhabit. We talk about the downsides of the organic movement, uh, the the desertification and the stripping of minerals from our soil and the state of industrial agriculture and how we can transition from where we are now to a more sustainable way, how you can incorporate some of these principles into your own life and overall what it what it means to enjoy connecting with the earth and how this can actually become a rich source of joy and um, meaning in our lives. So this is a really earthy conversation and it's one that I think is uh, far too late into the show. I, I really wish that this was something that was more present right off the bat, but better late than never. And Fergal is an amazing guide into this world. And y'all are going to get a whole lot from this episode. So sharpen your pencils, get some paper, um, get ready to write some stuff down. I do have uh, this things that he references in this, uh, namely the people and some of the the resources you can tap into are actually going to be on the website, 21stCenturyVitalism.com. If you go to this episode page, there's going to be a, a list of everything that's actually brought up in this conversation. So feel free to check that out. Um, that's what we're going to be doing today, y'all. I hope things have been well. We are finally making the transition into fall. So it is the great harvest before the winter. So what a better, and there's no better time for a conversation like this to be had. So 
yeah, that's what we're going to be doing today, y'all. I hope that you enjoy it. As much as I enjoyed recording with Fergal, it was really a treat for me. If you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Let me know what you're thinking. We got a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. Those rewards will be rolled out in the coming months once I get a little bit more steady viewership and I can kind of see what I'm working with. If you want to send me a one-time donation, if this episode gave you a sense of hope or sense of meaning, shoot me over a buck, whatever. It's uh, My Venmo is brett-kane-1. That's something new that I'm opening up. If you feel inclined, otherwise, no worries. You listening, you showing up, and plugging into the content is good enough. Um, that's what makes me happy. So we also got Facebook. We got Instagram. We got YouTube. We got all the things you can subscribe and interact with. So yeah, that's how you can get involved. Shoot me an email, 21stCenturyVitalism at gmail.com. Let me know what you're thinking. Do you want to be on the show? Do you have a friend who wants to be on the show? Whatever y'all are feeling, just let me know. That's how you can get involved. Um, without further ado, we're going to be talking with Fergal Smith. So open your hearts, drink some tea, do some stretches, and welcome Fergal. Awesome. Fergal, hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I just want to start off by saying thank you. I know this is a super busy time of year for you, so I definitely do not take this uh, sharing space lightly. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, it is, as you said, a busy time of year, but um, yeah, I'm hanging in there and we're getting to the, the second half, as we say, of the season. So we're, yeah, we're doing good. Good. Yeah, so I'm just going to be honest with my disclosure in that I've always wanted agriculture of some kind to be present on the show, because as I was saying before the recording was on, I think it's really important for people when they're trying to develop uh, a wellness-based life to understand the food systems that they're participating in. You know, we have effect with everything that we're purchasing and interacting with, and so I, I, I honestly kind of blindly just searched up regenerative agriculturalists. And I found your TED Talk on YouTube, and something about your story really charmed me in a way that I was just like, there's something about the fact that you had one goal in life from the time that you were a really young child, the professional surfer life, and then you were able to transition into something that you felt like had a little bit more meat on its bones. So I... I am really interested in just hearing a little bit more about your process of how you found your way to regenerative agriculture. I guess starting with the the beginning, like what was the thing that really yeah. inspired you to do this? Yeah, I suppose you know a lot of people uh, say it's so interesting that you came, you know, in this surfing lifestyle and got into farming. But I have to remind people that, uh, you know, I grew up on a, an organic vegetable farm, so. Me going surfing was a strange thing, you know, me going back to farming is kind of actually almost quite normal and, and kind of safe for me. It's like, it's what I grew up doing. I have all my childhood memories are growing up, helping my dad on the farm. And yeah, I always loved it, you know, until I was probably 14, 16, I was there, you know, helping all the time. And then surfing kind of took over and I uh, had this mad dream of going off surfing you know, amazing ways around the world. And that was a pretty wild idea for a, a farm boy in, you know, the West of Ireland with no, you know, our, our family wouldn't have had a lot of money because primary, you know, production, agriculture doesn't really make much money. So 
the idea that I was going to go off and chase waves around the world was a pretty far-fetched idea. But somehow, I, yeah, I managed to do that and I kind of worked. I think because I grew up on a farm and, you know, there's no such thing as, uh, you know, a day off in farming. You're on pretty much every day of the year. So I understand, you know, things, you know, if you want to do something, it takes hard work. Um, so I, yeah, I didn't have the the luxury of, I didn't grow up near the beach. We didn't have, you know, excess income or anything, but I had the kind of dedication and the, the work ethic to, to try and see it through. And yeah, I plugged away and, you know, if you're determined and kind of focused or driven enough in anything in life, I think you will get there. And yeah, I also probably hit the surfing world at a good time where there was money in the industry and I picked up sponsors from probably the age of like 16, 17 and yeah, I kind of grew from there and got a little bit of money and traveled a bit and yeah, I had these uh, mad ideas of surfing the best waves in the world and yeah, I ended up in Tahiti and Fiji and all these beautiful places and then I was doing it, you know, I was getting paid, I was surfing and I suppose I'd come home and I would, uh, you know, my dad's still harvesting away, still going to the market every Thursday and he still is now. And nothing changed for him and I was going up on this kind of surfing ladder of, you know, getting more sponsorship and going on more flights. And you do, like, I suppose because my upbringing um, has, has me fairly kind of questioning, you know, how people live and consume. And yeah, I suppose when I got to that point where I was actually making the dream a reality, it dawned on me, like, you know, when is... When have I made it? You know, do I need to do ten more flights or a hundred more flights or how many more waves and how much money do I need to make? And so yeah, there there is no end to that rainbow. Like that rainbow keeps stretching on as far as you can imagine. There's always a better wave. There's always more money. There's you know there's an endless amount of dreams after you kind of get to that place. So. I kind of was doubting it for the last few years anyway, getting on another flight to do the same thing again. And, it, you know, don't get me wrong, there wasn't one bit of it that I didn't enjoy. I, like, I love traveling, I love surfing, I love, yeah, meeting all these lovely people around the world and cultures. And there was, you know, there wasn't a bad thing about it, but there was definitely an element of, you know, doubt or guilt creeping in on about how much, you know, can one person keep consuming just for myself? Like I wasn't, I wasn't really helping anyone, you know, you know, giving money into some local communities, but I was probably uh, causing a more, well, I definitely was causing a more of a negative environmental impact by my, uh, my travels. So yeah, and then I was in Tahiti and I busted up my knee pretty bad and I was lying there on a the couch wondering if I was gonna have to go home or not. And I was watching the news, just sitting at a friend's house, and it was when uh, the tsunami happened in Japan, and the nuclear plant was sinking to the sea, and yeah, I was in the same ocean in Tahiti, it was just kind of like, wow, this is happening right now, and yeah, I was just like, you know, the world is obviously not in the best of shapes, and me getting on another flight, going surfing some more waves, isn't really helping things. And yeah, I just felt like, you know what, I need to 
get up off my ass and, and try and help, you know. And it wasn't farming that I thought of instantly. I sat there for a few days going, what's the best thing I can do with my, with my time? You know, what's the best thing I can give my energy into and see the best effects? You know, as I go to a third world country and, you know, help aid workers and all these other nice Western ideas that kind of make us feel a bit, you know, guilt-free that we helped the poor or something. But I was like, actually, the best thing I can do, and I know I can do, is grow food and I can go back to where I'm from and help the community that I grow up in and, yeah, get people involved in it. You know, at least I can genuinely know by growing food and feeding people I have made a difference. That I knew was a tangible change. So that was the initial kind of wake-up call and then literally from that day sitting on the couch in Tahiti that was it surfing career was finished I I, I, gen I, I emailed all my family I emailed all my sponsors and I said that's it I'm done I'm tapping out and uh, obviously everyone thought I was a little bit crazy and lost my marbles um, and my mom even convinced me she's like well you're on the other side of the world now you might as well stay there for a little while longer until you come back and uh, I was like, that's a good point. So I did. I stayed for another two months and had a great summer. And then that was it. I pretty much tapped out. I haven't flown since. And that's nearly 10 years ago now. And yeah, lost all my sponsors pretty quickly because of that. And it was lovely, though, because the sponsors, you know, it's a company, but the people you're dealing with are humans. And the humans I was dealing with were like, totally respected my decision, really backed me, were like, you're so right, we need to do more, but uh, sorry, you know, the company isn't going to change its whole uh, business plan around your little whim. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of the end of my surfing. Now, I, I, they, I had a few sponsors that helped me for a few years, so I had a transition period then when I was still getting some money from surfing, and then I was going into farming. And, uh, yeah, so then I thought about farming, and I was like, yeah, I want to go back and feed people but also it's about what's the best thing I can do and the, and how you know how can my farming make the biggest impact and I grew up on an organic vegetable farm like I said and I know that's you know it was at the time it was probably the best version um, that anyone knew of but like I was like I want to actually have a bigger effect I don't want to just be organic without chemicals I want to you know make the ecosystems at their best, you know, make them thrive and make, you know, the the wildlife and everything around where I farm as good as it can be. And that's where I kind of went down the rabbit hole of learning about regenerative agriculture. And yeah, the more I kind of still delve into that, it just, yeah, it's the next level of where we need to be focusing our farming attention. It's organic is not even close to good enough. You know, organic is just taking away chemicals and you know my dad and others who would be early adopters would be very passionate about the organic system and you know really trying to do the best for nature but the organic label has been a little bit hijacked by industry and you know supermarkets are able to charge a higher price because it doesn't have chemicals but they're not interested in regenerating the land you know they're not interested in you know making the world a better place they're just you know, creating a, a new niche product. Whereas regenerative agriculture is basically saying that year on year, 
that soil, that ecosystem is going to get better. And that to me, you know, really excited me. And that's where, yeah, that's where I've kind of been pushing all my energy, you know, day and night beyond. Um, see, I grew up in vegetable growing, so that's what I started with. And that's what I do on a, a day to day. And that's what we, you know, we sell in the markets. But a vegetable growing generally is on a small scale because you don't need a huge amount of land to grow a lot of produce when you do it quite intensively. So, you know, how are we going to manage the landscapes? You know, how do we manage huge tracts of land? And to be honest, horticulture by its nature isn't a regenerative um, enterprise at all because it's very human created. It's a man-made thing where I'm going to decide to grow vegetables in this piece of land. I'm going to input, you know, compost, green manures, um, you know, lots of energy, loads and loads of inputs, loads and loads of time, and then I'm going to take out vegetables. And that happens year in, year out. In, in with compost, out with vegetables, and it goes back and forth. And it can be done really well. Like we do a no-dig system, so there's no tilling, no plowing, no machines. It's done, you know, as sensitively as possible. Um, it's the best for the soil you can do, but it's a huge labor input system which isn't a regenerative system. You know, you can be regenerating land, but it's done with huge inputs, um, energy inputs. So that is always going to have to happen. So we will do it as best we can. We, you know, people want fresh vegetables, so that will happen. But how do we manage the whole landscape? And as I said, vegetables don't manage the landscapes in a regenerative way because they need so much inputs. So if you look at it on a bigger, holistic view you're looking at you know this huge this huge landscape the whole globe the whole planet you know how does it get managed and before us humans were creating you know private property and you know all these different enterprises and things that happen in towns and cities it was animals that managed it you know animals have roamed across this planet for a long long time and that is what has built the soil that we are surviving on today. So if people don't understand exactly how that works, but basically um, it's complex. And what I first say is um, what really got me um, into all of this is holistic management. And holistic management is a, a great kind of decision-making toolkit how to manage complex systems. It's not exactly, it's not essentially for farming, but it's been designed around farming, but it could be used for anything. But it's a way of breaking down the complex and trying to manage the whole, the whole system, the, you know, the humans, the animals, the land, you know, trying to manage it all, it, which is quite a hard thing to do. So it's, it's an amazing management tool. And it was created by a man called Alan Savory um, and there's the Savory Institute now, which is a, a global network and which is thankfully really taking off and, and getting great recognition. But Alan Savory is an amazing man who, yeah, he did a lot of work in Africa and was a biologist and was, you know, studying um, the, the wildlife parks and nature reserves and watching land degrade. And it was degrading and they were fencing off land from, you know, no hunting and all this and you, you need to listen to his story because it's really interesting but basically 
he's observed nature on a on a big scale and yeah if animals are move if animals move in the correct way the way they always have the way they they did for thousands of years that's what keeps a healthy ecosystem if you remove animals from the land and restrict their movements land degrades and like desertification is a man-made creation basically is what he says and desertification can be uh, reversed and completely changed and stopped by the right movements of animals could you so define desertification could just for the folks uh, who might not be familiar with that yeah. concept yeah so a lot of land it's probably one of the biggest threats to humanity that people maybe don't even realize but because of our plow agriculture tilling um agricultural system and poor animal management or just our basically poor management practices full stop um we're releasing huge amounts of carbon every year um land is you know you hear about uh you know soil washing away after floods and and wind blowing soil erosion blowing wind uh, wind blowing soil off fields when they've been plowed so we're losing huge amounts of topsoil and every year you do that you know you're we're losing organic matter and organic matter is basically like a sponge and the more organic matter you have the more sponge you have to hold water and then you can grow plants but every time you lose your organic matter and your carbon you're losing this sponge so your soil is getting drier and drier and eventually you know there's no organic matter left and nothing wants to grow and it'll blow away in the wind or any kind of rain it'll wash it away and that's what's happening to a huge amount of land you know in the great prairies in in america where there was nine meters of topsoil when they first went there you know now they're down to one foot of topsoil in in the in the good places i think at this stage so if you imagine you know what kind of mining has been done by the plow agriculture system, it's quite phenomenal in a short amount of time. But the nine meters of topsoil was created by animals. And that's kind of the, the ironic thing in this kind of, you know, we've got a, a big kind of issue going on is industrial agriculture of animals is causing desertification as well. And, you know, obviously the growing of crops and grains for animals is just a complete disaster but animals uh, yeah you know we're we're doing so many double negatives there it just doesn't even add up but someone in the middle is is getting paid for it and that's the reason why it exists but if we allowed animals to do what they've always done which is herd animals they they a cool thing to know is that cows uh, a herd of cows isn't a herd until it's over 80. You know, they don't act as a proper herd until there's 80 or more. But, you know, realistically, in the wild, there would have been thousands, you know, of buffalo and elk and all these different roaming herd animals. And there'd be thousands of them, and they'd be roaming across the land with predators behind them. So the predators, and, and that's how a herd, you know, protects itself. It's big, stays together really tight, and then the weak or the young might get taken. And that's, you know natural selection kind of thing but the herd is moving and it goes into areas where you know big long grass and it, you know stampedes in there and they're eating really fast really quickly and doing huge amounts of trampling and dung and urinating all in in intense applications but then they're gone like they're literally there for maybe two hours or four hours or you know 20 minutes 
because they're getting chased by predators all day, all night. So they keep moving. And then they don't end up back at that location for maybe, you know, two months, three months, who knows? They basically just keep following where there's really good food for themselves. So they just keep moving all the time. And if we mimic that, and so the tricky thing now is we have all these, you know, fences and private property that, and we don't have huge herds of that. So we all have smaller tracts of land with small herds of animals. So it's a little bit, uh, frustrating trying to mimic that when we don't have the same you know we don't have the same landscape as we did but we can mimic it on a small scale so here on our farm you know we have you know about 65 acres um we've got about seven cows and 45 sheep which is you know a tiny little amount of animals but we mimic that on a small scale we go around our farm in about a 35 day rotation, 40 day rotation at the moment. But I basically, they go into a little paddock and they're never there for more than a day. Sometimes they do moves twice a day, but generally it's just once a, once a day. So every day they go into a new paddock and then they come back around. And when they come back around to the start, the grass is fully regrown. It's pretty basic. Anyone who's not a farmer gets it almost, but farmers have been doing, you know, very, different versions where they basically just leave them in huge fields for weeks at a time and then you you know then grassy grass when it grows and gets eaten after three days it wants to re it starts regrowing again and once it starts regrowing again if an animal is in there the animal will eat the regrowth straight away because that's the nice sweet sugar on top and if it does that it starts depleting the root reserves underneath the ground so you need your animals off the land as soon as you've grazed it. So, yeah, but it's very simple. You know, you move off where they just grazed and you don't come back until it's fully regrown and that's it. You know, the, it's not actually that's, you know, complex, but there's a whole load of management in that and the best time of year to have animals in certain fields. And, you know, it, it gets really fun. You know, you get really into the little details of moving your animals around, but it's so cool because you just, every year you're seeing your land get better you're, and your animals will never be sick well like, you know you don't want to say never but realistically if you every day eat fresh you know fully recovered good healthy sword mixed sword of you know vegetation your animals just walk in every morning so happy they're like wow this is amazing and at the end of the day they've eaten you know half of it and the next day you bring them into 100 percent fresh grass again but if you leave animals in a field for two weeks, you know, the first day they ate the best. The second day they ate, they ate B grade. And then third day they're on C grade. You know, by week two, they're really scraping the barrel. And now they're eating around their own dung and urine. You know, it, that's when all the parasites, that's when farmers then have to worm and, you know, do all these vaccinations and all these problems start arising because we're not mimicking how animals used to move. Mm. So that's basically, yeah, regenerative agriculture. And now there's a whole other part of like integrating trees because, you know, an argument that people often say is, you know, we should just plant more trees to save the world and, you know, lock, store more carbon. And I'm totally for that. Like we've planted about nearly 30,000 trees on this small little farm. And that seems like, where's all your land if you're going to plant that many trees? But you can actually integrate trees, you know, so many trees and still have pasture. Um, so we have, you know, thicker hedges, 
we, we split the fields up into little laneways um, to make little microclimates so they're protected by the wind and then you're also having tree roots coming under your under your pastures which makes your pastures a lot more robust you know in you know adverse weather in the winter time so you integrate trees and and that's you know people think before humans were here and we cleared all the trees we would have just had forest everywhere and we would have had a lot of forests but actually it's it they now believe that it would more would have been like wood pasture so there'd be you know trees and and pasture and that's how you know herd animals again would have been hiding in trees from predators and they'd come out into clearings and eat loads of grass and then go again and that's kind of more the way I'm trying to lay out our farm where there's always tree cover because animals don't want to stand out in the pouring rain and wind you know or they don't want to be out in the blasting sun so trees are really you know a good tool to have as a farmer and it does store carbon and it is a a way to bring in more biodiversity and it's another food as well like most trees are really palatable to animals so there's all these benefits but it's there's no like we just need to plant trees and the world's fixed or it's not just about grazing animals it's this complex synergy between you know the wild animals you know the animals that we're we're minding to manage the ecosystem you know there's so many different things the water cycle there's all this stuff going on that's uh you know, it's it's basically, it's it's like magic. You know, you're watching nature trying. It, it, nature wants to, you know, thrive. It wants to be at its best. And if we can try and observe how it wants to be at its best, you can, yeah, you can really see it lift off. Whereas farmers do a lot of con, kind of control farming where they're killing things all the time, like killing weeds and, you know, you know stopping this and it's really about control and keeping it a certain way whereas you know if we can try and do a lot more observation and yeah use the tools that are a bit more biological rather than technical because that's a real uh, modern day thing of thinking a technological tool is going to fix our problems whereas nature was thriving very very happily for a long long time and in the space of you know less than a hundred years we've done a whole pile of damage with basically with a lot of technology so you know you gotta be, you know there's amazing technology out there and it is used in regenerative agriculture in lots of ways but we we should really focus on using as much biological um means than you know humans with their technological ones because they're not even tried and tested long enough to really warrant are they that good whereas we know animals can build soil and we know trees are good in the right place and yeah there's some some really there's some really amazing farmers out there now that are, are down this road a lot lot further than i am i'll mention um gabe brown would be a, a great um regenerative farmer in the states and greg judy is another guy that i would follow a lot and these guys you know they're managing huge tracts of land you know thousands of acres with big herds of animals and you know the results are phenomenal and there's the, the the amazing thing about it is there's no cost you know there's very little cost there's very little inputs you're really just you know doing a little bit of management of moving your animals around making sure they have access to water and they do all the work you know and and, and nature thrives so it's very exciting and the cool thing is that if 
and when and, and the more this catches on to farmers is they don't really have to invest anything you know it's really just a change of thought and a change of way of looking uh, a slight change of management you know it's not like you have to invest in a new tractor or all these sheds there's none of these you know costs involved in regenerative agriculture that are in industrial agriculture so it's you know it's a kind of an exciting idea that in the flick of a switch with a different way of management we could be making ecosystems you know come back to life and, and start thriving and i suppose i could talk about this all day long but actually if people are interested in it it's um it's cool to go and you know research it and look what uh, alan savory has been doing for the last 60 years in in africa like he took a piece of land in africa that they couldn't find a blade of grass there was nothing there and now it's like it's got more wildlife and more rare species of animals than any you know national park and he's only done it by moving animals and you can't really spoof those kind of results and that turnaround and yeah it's interesting because animals have got such bad press and they've got such a bad you know reputation in the in the you know environmental world but it's just kind of you know and they're right in so many ways because animals are causing a lot of damage but that's not the animal's fault you know that really comes down to the the humans you know decisions around how they manage them so yeah that's kind of where i'm at and that's what i'm up to and so i do the vegetables day to day and that pays you know to keep the farm afloat because realistically animal enterprises do need larger acreage you know to be viable enterprises um but I, that's that's the side of the farm that i really enjoy and you know hopefully in time we might get to lease more land and and uh, expand those enterprises as well but um yeah it's it's exciting it's an exciting world to be getting into and you know i'm only yeah 10 years ago i think next year that i actually decided to stop my mad pro surfing world so it's I've come, I've, I feel like I've just got to a place now where it's kind of getting really quite exciting with, um, yeah, the potential on, on the farm here and hopefully a big part of what I want to do is, um, is involve more people in it and teach people, you know, the kind of basics around this and hopefully get more farmers, yeah, catching on to this uh, exciting world of rejuvenating land and watching it take off without the need of external inputs it's amazing to me because we're kind of in this uh, global society right now where there's a lot of concern specifically with climate change and a lot of the information that we're getting is that it's kind of like okay we're kind of doomed we don't really know what to do about this but this kind of is like striking like a bit of like hope and inspiration in my heart that it's interesting when like humans learn how to flow with nature rather than try and dominate nature like it kind of course corrects itself and there's actually regulatory systems inherent within the system like if we just let animals do what animals do then they're kind of like the agents of like health for the ecosystem and i'm just kind of curious with the amount of strain that's currently on the the food systems where every like most people don't even know a farmer anymore. Like before, like it was, everybody had like a community farmer who was able to provide produce, but now we're so disconnected from the way that we get our food and we have these huge industrial systems. Is it possible that 
is incorporating some of these principles into these massive institutionalized agriculture systems, is that going to be able to produce the same kind of produce? Or is this, are, are people going to have to kind of reclaim their relationship to the land and actually invest in local farmers as well? Or can we simply include this into the system that's already there and then have the same kind of output? Yeah, I, I think it's all, every part of it's possible. Like, I think the big, the big massive farms, if they actually practice regenerative agriculture, they would be the best farms. Because when you have a bigger land mass and a bigger herd, you're going to have a bigger effect. So, you know, I, you don't often hear bigger is better. <laughs> and it's not a, something that I would usually think is a good idea. But actually with with land and with animals, like the bigger the herd, the bigger the impact and the bigger the benefit. So now, you know, to, yeah, I think it's, it can be done on a big scale, but then, yeah, we do need more farmers. And the more farmers that are clued in and connected, as you say, it connects more people to people in locality to directly to their food. It brings up the kind of conscious awareness of where their food comes from. And more people, there just needs to be more people on the land. Like it just genuinely does. Like I remember hearing uh, a fact or a, a, an idea of a statistic uh, a good few years ago that one in three people need to be fairly, you know, directly involved in food in, in a country so it's stable. Because, yeah, it just, it's the most important thing for, you know, the ecosystem and our human health. And it should be, you know, it's 1% of the population in the UK and Ireland that are involved in agriculture now. And that's not a good, you know, ratio. And yeah, but then at the same time, people don't realize that we think we're being fed by industrial agriculture, but actually still today, 60 to 70% of the world's food is produced by small farms. I you know. didn't know that. So people don't even realize this and they don't have a voice. But they're the people who actually feed us. Hmm. You know, it's only in the small populations of the Western world that we have industrial agriculture. You know, majority of the world is still on small scale, human, you know, hand kind of scale. And yeah, so it's not like the whole world is in an industrial state. Now, obviously, they're, they're doing their da damn hardest to get industrial agriculture everywhere if they can, but it's, yeah, it's still in human hands. We just don't realize it. Um, but yeah, in the Western world, we need a lot more. Like if tomorrow people decided they want to eat regenerative food, they would all starve because it doesn't exist because there isn't regen enough regenerative farmers. In the Western world, we, we do not have enough people on the ground. It's, you know, it's a few big farms with machines and they're generally industrial kind of conventional farms. So my, my only, uh, like I'd be very optimistic. I've never been so optimistic actually in the state of the potential and you know, where it's going, like with the kind of collapsism that's going on with our globalized food system also brings this huge potential for, yeah, farmers going a different way. But anyway, that's very positive. My, my snag is, who are these um, farmers? Because the conventional, you know, conditioned farmers, it is going to be hard for them to shift. Now, eventually they may have to be forced to shift financially or, or whatever, but um, it's hard to admit you're wrong and, and change what you're doing. So a lot of the, 
change is going to have to come from new, you know, different way of thinking people. And this is where I am focusing my energy. It's like, I want to help more people who are already interested, but they, you know, they haven't grown up on a farm or they don't have access to land or whatever. They need the training, like, and they ain't going to get the training from any, you know, agricultural college right now. So there's this, there's, we need to upskill a lot of people in a short space of time to kind of take on, yeah, managing land in a regenerative way. And it's exciting, but it's also quite a big challenge. And unfortunately, most Westerners have been sold a dream of go to college, get the high paying job. So they're not, they haven't been encouraged that land management and regenerative agriculture is even on the radar for most young people. And that's what I'm kind of trying to, yeah, is get people who are genuinely keen and give them the, the leg up and the supports to, you know, not make mistakes because managing land and ecosystems, you're managing a lot of lives, like a lot of little creatures and big animals and water and, you know, communities, food and all these things that it's, you know, it couldn't be of more of a serious job um, that people don't realize. Like it's way more important than I would say even doctors or dentists that get these, you know, more high paying salaries, like you're managing a huge ecosystem and it's complex and we need people who are got their their shit together, they're, you know, confident, they're physical, they're, you know, they can organize, they can manage logistics. There's a lot to going into managing a big, you know, land base. And yeah, these are the people that I'm hoping to get more involved and help them along the road because it's, yeah, it's a big undertaking. We've got a, we've got a big job ahead of us to, to turn around our, you know, our ecosystems that are struggling and our wildlife that is struggling. And you know, we can have environmental groups and environmentalists shouting about it, which is great. But who are the people trained up to manage the system? You know, and that's that would be my concern in this next 10, 15 years is like getting those people the right experience. You know, if I could train up someone and then go, yeah, this person's qualified. They can manage, you know, that 500 acres and stand over them. But, you know, there isn't that many people who have that experience out there. So that's just a challenge I think we have. And yeah, there's definitely going to be people rising to that challenge. And it's, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I think one of the big problems that I notice here in the States is a lot of people are motivated by profit. And, you know, it's kind of instilled in us at a very young age, you know, in order to be a player in this society, you got to have the ducats, you got to have some money. And, um, that's not really one of the promises of getting into, I mean, any form of agriculture, let alone one that is still kind of learning, growing and getting its legs. But what I'm noticing, I, I have a lot of friends who are farmers. It's not my direct trade. I'm starting to get more inspired to be like, oh man, that is actually really good. There is a wealth that actually comes with it though. And it might not be material. You have a paper currency, but like the fact that you are creating this relationship with land and stewarding an organic health from like the soil on up like there's a level of connectivity and like something about the human experience that greatly i think is needing of that like we need that connectivity to the earth and the ability to create community around food and i just don't think like our cultural values at least here in the states even have any room for that you know right now we're so individually focused and 
how do we inspire people to kind of look beyond this might be beyond what you're you know trained to do but as an educator how do you find it how do we inspire people to see the value in this yeah like i think it is it's only going to be uh you know enticing to to certain people um but I, i i already see that i have a lot more people interested than i could possibly you know involve so my what i'm really working on at the moment is i'm in the middle of trying to build a training center so in the next year i'm hoping to have that built because i don't want to cobble together you know kind of you know poor farmer training you know just trying to basically run it on the fly whereas i want to we're trying to get a grant from a local agency and then we're going to build a professional building so bring farmers through and go you're going to be a professional and this is we're in a professional building and this is showing them you know the marketing the business the the whole ecology what you're managing all of this to try and raise farmers up so i i used to do a lot of you know having interns and volunteers and i've actually stopped it because i want to get a bit more serious about what we're doing here and and actually level up the level of training and so I see there's a lot more interest than there is capacity to train people. So that's that's a good thing. Um, but the issue is the interest is great, but it's unless it's got proper grounded base of giving people the right tools and the real experience, you know, people having keenness, they're going to fall flat in their face. Like, and that's unfortunately it's going to happen to a lot of people unless they get the the kind of wide-eyed opening of you know what it takes to manage a complex system but as you said the there really isn't a financial reward unfortunately um to to this industry but the yeah the the kind of benefits you can't explain and i think anyone who kind of dabbles in it will start to kind of feel it on some level but it's yeah like i don't feel like i'm working you know i'm going to be up at half four in the morning I'm going to work all day, I'll probably finish at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and I'll do it every day. And you know, no one's going to give me uh, an extra paycheck or a pat on the back or anything. But I jump out of bed every single morning, like, can't wait to do what I do. And yeah, you, you kind of, you're not, you're not working anymore. You're just a part of something. You're just now, you are like the bees flying past you or the birds or the plants in the ground. We're all just acting our parts and you know that feeling of that is is kind of something you can't describe and it's yeah feeling you know connected feeling involved feeling of purpose feeling that you're yeah you're doing something that's you know of real benefit it's you know if you don't wake up in the morning plants are going to die animals are going to die so you kind of just get up and you start doing it and it could be pouring rain or it could be a heat wave it doesn't change and it's yeah i kind of almost feel sorry for people that don't get those feelings because it's it's kind of priceless it's you know people just think i'm crazy and i don't ever switch off and i'm a workaholic and i'd never take a holiday but i you know i i don't really want to go anywhere <laughs> you know and the thing is i've done it as well it's not like i so a lot of farmers are like this and they think they're crazy and i don't at all anymore and i never did but I also did it, like I also had the flying around the world, paid to go surfing, and I'm choosing to be doing this. So people can't think that it's poor me working my ass off making no money. It's like I actually had the other version 
and I could have probably kept that going if I really wanted to, but actually, yeah, there's far more depth and meaning, and it's like a, there's a, something way more substantial, you know, when you're a part of a bigger system. You know, every year watching your trees that you planted that are now another two or three feet taller, it's like, yeah, these little subtle, subtle you know, feelings that are kind of more powerful than any bank balance anyway. I love that so much. That's so good. I'm kind of curious for the folks who might not have the ability to go in on a plot of land. Uh, there's a lot of people who live in like urban centers, myself included, who maybe have a yard or maybe even some people who have up to four acres and they are already working full-time jobs. Are there certain principles that they can bring into the space that they actually have a little bit of uh, say over that can actually tap them into this deeper feeling of connectivity with their space? Totally. Like, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, the market gardening can be done on a real small scale, you know, anything, any scale really, but even like a quarter of an acre or more, and you can be a very busy bee every day of the week and produce a lot of food. And as I said, you can do market gardening extremely well, you know, that's regenerative by its actions. It just does take a lot of labor. And yeah, you are involved in the ecosystem then and you're, you're kind of, you're sucked in. And end of the day, we all need fresh veg. So that's why I, it's what I do, you know, nine to five every day of the week. So it's, most people can get into that. If you can't get into that at all, um, then it's, you know, go and support the local farm that is doing it, and they might be, you know, able, you might be able to volunteer there, so you get some connection, or you can just literally give them, you know, your dollars by buying their 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 stuff. Um, you know, if you can't have that, it's like going, you know, you can go research the closest kind of regenerative farm to your area and go and just emailing, buy some stuff off them, taste it, and then you know support them, give them an email or a phone call and tell them keep up what you're doing because they're not getting supports from, you know, any governments or, you know, they're not really getting support in any way presently. So the more people that give farmers the kind of feeling that they are respected and, and you know, because a lot of farmers are feeling quite beaten down, whereas, you know, because environmentalists are telling farmers that they've been destroying the ecosystem but if you find the one and then farmers just by being a farmer get kind of thrown in with the dirty dishwater kind of thing but if you find a good farmer and just yeah support them if you have the money give them a donation you know why not because they're managing ecosystems that keep us all with clean air clean water you know it's it's and the more like it's in some ways we'd be better off spending our time lifting up the farms that are already doing it because if you can make a farm that's already doing it a, you know a real success and it gets right up there and financially it starts to do well then other farmers start to see it and they're like oh, hang on a second they're they're getting so much local support they're getting more money than we are i want to do what they're doing so you can actually cause a big rather than us all trying to become farmers and us all down at the bottom kind of struggling if you get some guy that's already nailing it, doing it really well, and then you lift them up a bit more, it's going to make the conventional farmers next door, you know, start getting pretty jealous because, 
and yeah farmers will follow the money you know if there's more money in it that way they'll start to question things and you know there's lots of things you can do even just research you know to start looking up what regenerative agriculture really means and then asking you know the farmers the farmers markets you know what are they doing or going into supermarkets why don't you stock some you know food from this farm that's whatever you know trying to get these conversations going because it is still in its early stages and but at the same time there's nobody that doesn't support it because regenerative agriculture is kind of breaking the boundaries of organic organic got pretty pigeonholed into a niche kind of well-to-do people buying organic produce a lot of the time whereas regenerative agriculture is kind of going we it's looking after you know our water our ecosystem it's kind of we're building soil it's kind of bigger topics and i think everyone wants our water to be cleaner everyone wants our you know our soil to be getting better so you kind of you, you can't piss people off with talking about having a better ecosystem even if they're a chemical farmer or whatever so you can actually yeah i think it's a good time you can actually bring these conversations to anyone and everyone wants you know to try and help with climate change or ecosystem collapse or whatever so i think yeah regenerative agriculture is filling that kind of phase uh, that that conversation quite well and if you can mention then flagship farms like i was saying like Abe brown and greg judy and joel salatin is another one um they you know to other farmers who don't maybe know and they can research them because it's hard for someone who doesn't know much about agriculture to tell a farmer what to do that doesn't go down very well but if you can tell a farmer oh just check out gay brown or someone like this and then they see a real farmer doing it on a real scale and they're really doing it and they're making a profit you know that you know they'll take that a bit more on board so we can you know i think there's a many ways in that people can help and be involved and yeah it's kind of whatever suits you you know you if you're a marketing guru you could go and contact a regenerative farmer and say do you want me to help with marketing for you you know or there's a million things we can do to help so you don't have to get out there and uh start farming tomorrow to make the world a better place we obviously need more farmers but we can all play our bit that's for sure hmm. so something else that i always kind of thought it was the same thing uh admittedly um where's the comparison and con contrast between uh, regenerative agriculture and permaculture because i hear a lot more about permaculture than i do what you're offering so is that are there a lot of similarities or yeah no like the permaculture principles are brilliant um you know they really are they're all similar to the regenerative agriculture principles i suppose permaculture it, it kind of came out of like a bit more small scale and it's kind of got more adopted in like backyard kind of scale and you know more in horticulture kind of management and a bit less kind of production orientated um which isn't a bad thing but it's not being taken up wide. Even the systems, the way it's laid out, it isn't designed in a way, it's more designed to having like, you know, people talk about having a, a food forest and, you know, these kind of ideas, edible gardens and stuff, which are amazing. But industrial agriculture and farmers are just like, you know, goodbye. Like that isn't, you know, that's not on their radar. Like they're, they're plowing 
a thousand acres of corn in a straight line and you mention to them about a food forest and they're just going to laugh at you. So, and realistically, we're not going to turn the world into permaculture because it's a, it would mean all of us being like kind of really into it. You know, it's like everyone having a little quarter of an acre or, or 10 acres, but it's the kind of integrate little, you know, it's not very linear or easy for harvesting or management in that way and unfortunately when we're selling or producing food now for you know millions of people in housing estates and cities and it's going through supermarkets we need to be designing uh systems that are manage manageable you know that can be quantifiable that we can you know manage big complex systems quite simply um but yeah the same, it's, it is a lot of the exact same ideas. It's just on a kind of different, maybe scale and yeah, different ways of, yeah, it's a lot of permaculture is, is a lot about nice ideas, like having loads of nuts and berries and all this perennial foods. At the end of the day, a lot of people don't eat half of these foods. You know, real, realistically, most humans eat 10 foods. You know, and the adventurer, like the adventurous vegetarian, eats about twenty foods. You know, whereas there's eighty thousand plants that we can eat, but mm. you could have, you know, you could have a couple hundred plants growing behind your house that could feed people their diet year round. But most people would be like, "Where are the carrots?" And that's all they want to eat. So, it's you know, there's lovely ideas in permaculture, but the reality is, not all of it is that um, applicable to reality in in feeding the masses um but it's yeah it's a great system but regenerative agriculture is kind of again it's, it's broken the the organic and the permaculture like oh it's a bit left field it sits over there regenerative agriculture is you know you could be a farmer with you know a thousand head of cows and you can be the best regenerative agriculture farm in the area and you could be a poultry farmer and you can be a regenerative farmer or you could be you know, you could be a grain farmer, you know, no-till and all that, which is great, which isn't, yeah, it can be done. So it kind of, it's a bit more applicable to uh, the kind of, the general farmers um, that are there. And yeah, I just think it's more realistic as well. You know, you, there's genuine proper results out of regenerative agriculture, whereas permaculture is a bit hit or miss, loads of great ideas. Ma managed well, it can be done great, but it's not a... It's not a, an easy system to adopt on a wide scale. So yeah. that's kind of... Yeah. I mean, it seems like for the amount of people, we have millions of mouths to be feeding, you know, to have something that we can have more of a guaranteed, like we really can't gamble on, you know, millions of families potentially going hungry. Like, oh, we had like a mishap. So that definitely makes sense. Something that I've heard a lot about, and I really wanted to get a, a specialist on this, but you may be able to kind of walk me through this, is something about like the, what do they call it? It's like the soil, um, there's kind of like a soil apocalypse potentially, at least here in the States where a lot of the soil that we have is starting to become like inert essentially. And I know that regenerative agriculture can help kind of reframe this and heal that, but do you know anything about like the current state of soil as it is and potentially how long we have in order to like really make this uh, transition without there being a huge mishap in food? 
Yeah, it's it's a pretty uh, dire conversation, and yeah, like I've you know people in this world who are doing regenerative agriculture kind of just at this stage is just put the head down and keep trying to be positive in what we're doing. But yeah, industrial agriculture where it's at and what people are, you know, facing. You know, as I said, it was nine meters of topsoil down to a foot, but that's you know could be a couple of inches in, in a lot of places. And eventually, yeah, it's just the soil. The soil in a lot of places is is virtually um, dead, and they're growing through chemicals. You know, they're growing their food with the inputs of chemicals. Without the chemicals, nothing would grow. So, it's that's where a lot of industrial kind of farm, you know, grain farms and stuff would be at. And it's yeah, it's pretty dire, and it's not going to get any better in the current management. So you know. Is it next year? Is it five years? Is it 20 years? But it's not going to last, you know, indefinitely. So, yeah, something's got to give. And the big issue with the big kind of plough agriculture systems is is the absence of animals. You know, like the the land had animals on it for, in, you know, forever. And for now the last hundred years, animals have been absent. So we've just been mining, you know, the soil's uh, energy bank to the point now where it's, essentially empty and now we're riding on uh on thin air with with some synthetic fertilizers that are just about growing a crop poorly each year and making us all pretty sick in the process so it's uh it's a pretty dead-end uh, journey for that uh side of agriculture and unfortunately you know we're creatures of reaction and we actually need the collapse or the the problem to then change as long as we can get away with it we seem to keep going you know it's there's been something like 16 civilizations that have become extinct already and you know the only thing we learn from history is where we don't learn from history <laughs> we keep repeating making ourselves extinct until we have to like so it's a, it's going to be pretty uh serious and that's there's no doubt but also we needed to get serious for people to really learn, you know, and unfortunately we actually need that big of a wake-up call because we've been told all the information, we've been given all the little signs and the wake-up calls prior to this, but it seems that we need a, a proper wake-up call. So, like, that's going to happen anyway. I don't think there's too much we can change about certain people who want that to continue, but alongside that the, the the positive is happening like it genuinely is happening and on a quite a big scale already and that's the you know the where we need to that tide to start filling quicker and more people adopting so then when there is that kind of catastrophic and it won't happen in you know a week or a month it'll happen over a series of years where it's just not working anymore and then the other one will just you know start speeding up so that's where I come back to is like I want to get more and more people really trained up that they can help in this kind of big change, you know, because that's what we need. We need more people who aren't afraid to manage complex, big, you know, ecosystems. And, and that's what I would say to, you know, people out there is, you know, who are those people? And if you have any interest, it's, you know, we need more people. It's like, you know, we have armies, but I don't know what we need armies for, really, because they just kill each other. But we need armies of people who are going to actually save us. And, you know, if, if that was what the army's job was, that they're going to take over huge amounts of land and manage it really well and put all the money that goes into 
wars into <laughs> regenerative agriculture, geez, the army would be great. But um, yeah, we kind of need a whole wave of people who are taking it seriously, going to really work their, you know, their, their hard, hard outs into doing this because it's not going to be easy. You know, we have depleted our soils to, to zero in a lot of places and it's going to take, you know, a lot of work. But nature wants to thrive. Nature is going to want to bounce back. Soon has been giving, you know, a bit of uh, kind of, yeah, attention in what it needs and and really helping to turn around. It'll, it'll you know, right its, you know, its wrongs very quickly and it'll it'll come in a positive direction. And yeah, you look at Gabe Brown and Greg Judy and they have those stories. They took land that was worth nothing, nobody wanted, and they now have, you know, lush, amazing pastures and an ecosystem so it's white oak white oak, white oak pastures another great one i just thought of them um when i was thinking there but um yeah so it's 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 hugely serious but it's also what we need for the catalyst for change so i kind of i've you know i've kind of given up on being upset about it because unfortunately we seem to need a serious wake-up call we just need the people to be coming on board that are going to make the changes and I suppose I meant to say earlier, there's a, and you can do the holistic management training online. You don't have to go, it's a nine day course if it's on, on a farm, but you can do it online now. Um, but um, the number one philosophy that Alan Savory has is when you go into any decision, but certainly when you go out into an ecosystem and you go to make a decision about, I'm going to plant a tree here, or I'm going to, you know, make a pond there, you must start off with uh, assuming that you're probably going to be wrong and you're probably going to make the wrong decision and you know that's that's okay you know like you make you get you gather your information you make the best plan that you can but be humble enough to realize that it's probably going to be the wrong decision and then you monitor and you're watching it to be wrong you're not going to try and prove that you're right you're going to accept it's probably wrong and then as it's going wrong i'm going to change it and then it'll probably still be wrong and then I'll monitor it and then I'll get it a bit better. But nature's going to show us if it's right or wrong. And then we have to be humble enough to be able to be wrong and then go, right, I messed up there. I'll do it this way now. And I think that's one of the fundamental, uh, you know, ways we need to go forward is that farmers at the moment are doing things that are essentially, you know, are killing nature in many ways. But we, we don't, we're, you know, we're not able to be humble enough to go, yeah, this is not working. And, you know, admit that what I've been doing is wrong and what else can I do that's better? But yeah, even if you're a regenerative agriculture, you know, through and through kind of farmer, it doesn't mean you're going to make the right decision at all. You might make the complete wrong decision, but at least if you can keep humble enough in that, that it be wrong, mess it up, that's okay and then change and keep going. And I think that's that's a philosophy that anyone getting into it has to understand that you're not gonna come in all, I'm gonna save the day and, and turn this land into a perfect paradise. You could easily mess it up as bad as, you know, someone spraying chemicals all day long because it's complex, you know, it's not as simple as I'll do this and it'll be better. So if we can keep that uh, headspace that we're not, uh, you know, we're not, we're not God, we're not able to predict how we're going to manage this. We're just going to try our best and it could be okay, it could be not so good and then we're going to adapt 
and we're going to keep doing that round and round and then then we have half a chance i think that's that's where we kind of need to get to and i think that maybe might stand for a lot of society and you know businesses and governments and you know all this kind of stuff is just it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to admit we're wrong and just try and do better next time and and nature will show us like once the water is getting cleaner once the soil is getting deeper we know we're doing okay but if if it isn't and there you know there's less insects every year something's not right and at the moment there's a lot of things not right our water is definitely not getting cleaner our air is not getting cleaner so we have to admit what we're doing is actually not working and then start trying something different and that's kind of the basis of holistic management and alan savory's philosophy and i think yeah it's a it's a lovely way to kind of go out into the world and yeah try and just be humble enough to to try and learn and and take one step at a time and, and stand back and see how, how it's working yeah I, I love that it's almost i mean almost like a spiritual practice at that point you know like being humble enough to be able to admit that you know i can be wrong i'm definitely fallible and allowing nature to actually teach you i mean that's something you can bring into like every element of your life you know and i think that's a big reason why people end up getting solidified into their positions and whatever they're doing you know any creative passion a musician or you know especially like a politician or something when you have a very concrete feedback mechanism built into the thing you're doing that's like hey this is wrong you know you don't like try and fit it into a box of it being right you have to move with that and allow it to change you you know but yeah i just always wonder you know humanity's ability to allow change within itself you know and i love that this has that kind of built into it you know what what a better teacher totally yeah it's it is it's a you know it's a very yeah it's a very kind of spiritual or kind of eye-opening you know journey once you allow it to be because you're just going on the ride of of watching and, and observing and then you're just you're just a tool in the process of trying to help things move in, in a in a positive direction and yeah it's it's really it teaches you not to have fixed ideas and I think that's really healthy and I think you know if nothing else if people want to get into you know farming for a bit of a you know psychological uh, journey it's definitely good for you know, because you're doing really long days, you know, hard work physically, and then you got to admit that what you're doing it was wrong that day. <laughs> and it's pretty shit, you know, you've, you yeah. might have been doing something for ages, and then you're like, yeah, that wasn't the way to do it. And, yeah. you know, it can hurt, like, you're like, oh, man, I just thought I had it nailed, and I've actually completely just blew it, and now I have to do it different. And you mightn't even get a chance to do it in that season, you know, have to wait six months until the next season to try it out a different way so it's real like it's long-term stuff and you know you mightn't then see results for a few years even to see if it's turning the right direction and that's the kind of that's the big stuff where now it goes way beyond you and all you're really doing is kind of learning a few things along this journey to hopefully pass on to the next generation and then you're starting to get into like it's it's really and i've always you know felt that personally that it's nothing to do with me like it's not about my lifespan and it's not about what i can achieve in my time i'm just starting a process 
and trying to get some sort of a ball rolling in a certain direction and I'm getting it wrong, the ball's stationary half the time, but if I can start it going in a certain direction and other people and my kids or whoever can learn from a lot of the things I did, like that's as much as we can do, I think. And you know, we look at the you know, different traditions where they made decisions, you know, thinking about the generations to come, like and these kind of ideas were were around for a long time. You know, we as tribes, we would have always put the kids in the center of a decision and looked at them while we made decisions and these kind of things. Whereas all those kind of traditions in our Western world anyway have kind of been thrown out into profit margins and, you know, kind of a globalized, you know, doggy dog world, which is, uh, doesn't really factor in <laughs> the next seven generations or this kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of uh, that kind of spiritual or just that bigger, more pullback view that we we need to start having for uh, for the ecosystems, for farming, for humanity. You know, whoever it's 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 a philosophy that we need to start adopting because the short term quick gain isn't gonna last, and it's definitely causing a lot of heartache and damage to to the planet so i think um yeah it's a it's a it's a very exciting time i think we're on a cusp of huge change and i'm yeah i'm hoping just to help more people on that journey because yeah i think us westerners might need to uh pull up our socks and uh get stuck into a, <laughs> a bit of hard work because we've been we've been living off you know third world countries and our access to global trade and all this stuff for you know not a very long time really you know it's only been a couple of generations so it was fun while it lasts and we might have had a, an easy ride but actually yeah i think it's not a it's not a very good way to to live and it's not going to sustain us for much longer so yeah interesting times ahead yeah it's interesting because it's like I feel like as we're talking about these principles, this is what a lot of the indigenous communities of the world have actually like aligned their lives to. They actually had a natural intuition to where they like went with the cycles of nature and respected it and gave it its space to heal itself. And, you know, it's really the, the Western civilization starting with, you know, Europe, maybe like 1600s or so. I don't know that that was a rough approximation, but we've disconnected ourselves from nature and we stopped looking at the future of our future generations and our kids. And that's actually that severance is also what broke us from the land, you know, but it's like people have been doing this for thousands of years. Like this isn't necessarily like a new concept, but now we have like modern lens to be able to recontextualize it and use it as an antidote rather than what our natural thing is. It's just amazing that it's coming back though. Amazing that it's kind of making its way. You know, because I grew up in a time where my dad's kind of, you know, group of people who got into organic farming would have understood, you know, or would have talked about those kind of more indigenous ways of looking after, you know, the land. But they just became a little bit too wacky for, you know, modern society. We didn't want to talk about the kind of pagan or Native Americans or the aboriginals. It was just a bit too primitive for us. So we've kind of had to modernize it 
into like regenerative agriculture and yeah look back to in a in a different lens that's a bit more kind of modern and you know able to you know integrate the kind of the current systems that are there so but realistically it's just going back to yeah trying to think of the whole system all its complexities and you know in, in the holistic management they talk about making a decision for the next thousand years so you know if you're going to build this road think about it for the next thousand years how how is that going to affect you know so it's the same stuff you know it's the exact same way in ireland we had a thing called um, the breton law which was a, a whole set of laws that was designed around the beehive and how the beehive functions and you know that's how pagan irish people were kind of you know governed and policed and it was crazy like you know each tree had a different meaning and you know certain trees if you cut down an oak tree you could be hung you know if you didn't salute a certain tree you could you know go to jail or whatever like it was really extreme laws that basically kept everyone in check like you couldn't do a lot of things to nature otherwise you're in you know deep trouble whereas nowadays you know it's a free-for-all you can do whatever you want to nature and you're not going to end up in court you're not going to end up fined or now there is obviously certain things you will but realistically if you have money in your own land or whatever you can kind of do whatever you want in, in many ways so it's yeah we had a culture here you know and I think we're just now reinventing it in a kind of modern modern context it's funny here in america if you uh harm nature you typically get like a government kickback <laughs> like oh yeah we like that yeah you just brought profits um yeah not to leave it on a grim note um so yeah, yeah. that definitely is our time i just want to open the floor for you uh where can people find you do you have other online offerings people can tune into to kind of keep updated on your process and anything of that nature yeah yeah, no, I, like as I mentioned earlier, we're in the process of building a training center and in that we're kind of doing a whole revamp of, um, yeah, I used to have a lot of volunteers here, um, but that's kind of changed. So over the next while, we're going to be yeah doing internships again and trainings through our new training center. But you can follow us on our Moyhill Farm, you know, social media or you know, Facebook and Instagram mainly. My wife does that side of things um but yeah i'm really looking forward to involving people on the journey probably from next year we'll hopefully have this center being built i'll then start really you know putting out there more kind of material around yeah what we're doing in the regenerative agriculture world and yeah but um yeah if anyone's ever here in ireland you can come by we have a farm shop that's open and we're at a few markets but um Otherwise, yeah, we'll have our website and social media and you can keep it, keep an eye. But it's, yeah, I suppose I just invite people to go and find other regenerative farms in the area and look up the Savory Institute and some of the farms that they have on board there. And the, the cool thing that the Savory Institute is doing is it's linking the farms to brands. So brands that now want regenerative leather or regenerative wool, um, are now being linked directly you know to farms so you now can find out which farm which companies are supporting regenerative agriculture you know in in many ways so 
you know, that's a really cool movement that straight away you can say, wow, that company's, you know, backing, you know, regenerative agriculture. So now I know I'd rather spend my money there. So that's a cool place to get involved. And yeah, there's, there's, that's, that movement's really happening fast. Like, I think the companies are getting it pretty quick now that they need to be changing how they do business. So I think they're probably ahead of the farmers at this stage. You know, we need more farms than there is companies. So wow. yeah, so there's loads people can do and yeah, we'll be we'll be here. I won't be going anywhere. So um yeah, we'll be plugging away. Wonderful. Yeah, I love the idea that like it's really also the consumer and how we spend our dollar too, you know, that's really what drives the companies to seek the farms. So like creates the demand. Um, yeah, it's, I love that, that the idea of connecting, informing people like what brands to support and what farms to get connected with. Yeah. That's such a crucial yeah. step to it too. Yeah. 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 There was a guy on the Saber Institute. He's a, a fashion designer and he was saying how, like the fashion world changes designs something like six times a year and it's a trillion dollar industry it's like you know absolutely crazy so he was saying basically that as soon as more fashion designers catch on to you know using regenerative leather and regenerative wool and, and products like this in their new designs like the whole world you know spending can be just like that overnight in a wow. totally different way and like he's saying, like th these fashion designers have the potential of changing how people spend their money in in such a huge way, in such a overnight way that the changes are like massive. And this is the potential that's right there. Like we're literally on the cusp of those fashion designers. They're you know they're not stupid people, and they want to do the best they can do. And once that turns a little bit more in the right direction, there's just going to be one hundred percent. You know support for regenerative agriculture and people want to spend that way and then you know those industrial models are going to just be obsolete you know people don't want to spend money that way we don't want to see ecosystems collapsing so once the money isn't going that way and it's kind of finished farmers will very quickly follow suit and it's um yeah to me it's we're on the cusp of a very exciting change and we just need to try and uh support it and uh, help it along in, in the in the best way that we all can in whatever area that we we work in i love it wonderful awesome fergal thank you so much i really appreciate this uh, i know like i said it's very busy for you right now so this has been really great for me and i'm sure listeners as uh, well thank you of course yeah thanks yeah. Brett. yeah all right be well all right, friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way through till the end. I really do make this show for you. That was Fergal Smith. If you want to keep up to date with what he's got going on, follow Moyhill Farm over on Facebook, Instagram. I think he's on all the socials, uh, plus the website, moyhillfarm.com, and they have a lot of ways that you can get involved there. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Like I said in the beginning, if you want to support the show, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is podcast gold. Um, outside of that, uh, next week we have the legendary Thomas Myers joining us on the show to talk about the fascial system and expanding emotions through body work. It is literally everything that I wanted from this show all neatly packaged into one episode. 
It is a great talk, and I'm really excited to get that one out and share that with you. So until then, that's two weeks out from now. I think I said a week, but it's two weeks. So yeah, join us then. Join us tomorrow, later, whatever you want to do. I hope that you are being treated well, treat each other well, and have a great couple of weeks.